Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, as always, Patrick Egan, and this is where we would usually say hello and welcome to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. However, Gene is out on a search today, so he he couldn't make the program. So we'll just have to make do. (laughs) So anyway... um, Today's uh, program is uh, Quantum AI, and and our guest is uh, Ms. Tracy Lamb. She's the CEO of Quantum AI. Tracy, hello. Good morning. Hello. (laughs) Good morning, and a fine morning it is. So we had to, um, it was hard, you know, you, you stayed busy. So it was hard uh, to get you <laughs> booked as a guest on the program, but I want I'm going to talk about all of that busy stuff because I mean you have a whole bunch of um, let's say I don't even know uh, I guess the suffixes or whatever at the end of uh, your your introduction and all these other different things that you've been doing. So I guess to start the program out, the best thing to do would probably. Um, Maybe give us a, a, a brief bio, the high points. It's hard. Usually we get people on the program that are, that are experts and they've been in the field for so long and they have these you know, long bios. But maybe you could give us the, uh, the high points of what you've been up to for the last, uh, let's say, few years. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Patrick. Well, look, it is a pleasure for me to join you today. Oh, a super fun way to get back into the industry on a podcast with you. And uh, yeah, I've been hiding away in academia for the last two years, working through my PhD. And it's just great to actually get back into, you know, back into the industry and back socializing. I was at Heli Expo last week and saw lots of great uh, familiar faces and, and uh, you know, it, it really is, uh, it, I'm really glad to be back. So I guess a, a brief bio leads me to how I came to work in this industry and uh, the industry I love so much. So um, I have 25 years of experience in commercial aviation. I literally started at the bottom of the industry, sweeping the hangar floor and looking at planes and helping the maintenance crew fill up the oils and clean the aircraft. And I just fell in love with aviation and the complexity of it. And it really drove me to uh, learn and, and to fly and and uh, led me into a career where I spent over 11 years as a certified flight instructor and, again, started at the bottom and got my CFI, got my CFII, and then my multi-engine instructor's rating, and it led me into an amazing career where I got to fly all different kinds of aircraft and lots of different missions, including a lot of remote um, outback flying in in Australia, and charter flying. Sometimes I'd have to sleep under the aircraft or in the aircraft. Um, I flew medical flights, I flew freight and power line inspection missions, and my career just basically saw me see saw me flying bigger and faster aircraft until I finally ended up as an airline pilot for um, Virgin Australia, flying Boeing 737. And um, uh, before that, actually, I was also flying international corporate uh, aircraft as well. So for Virgin, I did some international flying as well as domestic flying. 
and um, went back to university. <laughs> Story of my life, I'm still in university. Um, but what I became really passionate about was the um, operational risk and human systems integration. You know, why do we make mistakes as really intelligent remote pilots and pilots and why do we then nearly make mistakes and also why we avoid mistakes. So that's a fascination for me. So that was really what led me to step out of the flight deck and finish my career as a working pilot but get into safety and risk and systems integration. So um, I became a qualified uh, aviation lead auditor and conducted over 100 formal uh, safety management system audits on airlines and charter companies and helicopter companies and maintenance training organizations. And that eventually led me into uncrewed aircraft. And um, that took me all around the world. So uh, I started advising in that helicopter space and that took me up to um, actually run uh, fly the uh, wire courses in Hong Kong and southern China, uh, right through to inspecting runways in the Arctic Circle. And um, that helped to establish the world's first formal unmanned aircraft safety and compliance program for industrial inspections using drones offshore and onshore and even inside shipping tankers in Lithuania in Europe. Um, so it definitely, unmanned systems definitely helped me expand my passion for risk management and safety systems. And as you know, um, you know, I became a, um, in 2014, I became a uh, CASA Australian qualified commercial unmanned aircraft operator. And then uh, in the United States in 2017, I think I got my FAA 107. And I was been really fortunate to recently be recognized by the International Civil Aviation Organization, ICAO, as a UAS um, regulatory subject matter expert. And uh, also got inducted as a fellow into the Royal Aeronautical Society. So I have had a really um, very lucky and fun career that I still am very passionate about. And of course, that's where I've been learning more about um, in the PhD programs with Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I've been contributing to the FAA Assure program and the NASA UAM projects. Uh, and luckily, you know, I've been involved in some great uh, projects. 18, um, I've had 18 published academic journal articles in the last two years. And if everyone can wish me luck, hopefully I will graduate later on this year with a PhD in aviation safety and human factors. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, <laughs> if you just keep at it for a little longer, things might happen for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm hoping to add even more letters after my name. There's a joke, like, how many letters can you have? And it's like, I don't think I'll ever stop. It's now a running joke with me. So, uh, Well, I was going to say, you know, I can't count that high. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you do have a, a few things going on. So, I, you know, maybe. Uh, no, um, lots to unpack there. So, yes, uh, you know, there's, um, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, do you want to ask, ask me about my dissertation? 
we're going to get to that. I just, I, I want to get the, uh, so yeah, I'm going through some of the emails and, uh, you know, trying to find some stuff. And I, and I noticed we had some correspondence going back and forth in 2015. And I think you were part of some symposium or whatever. And I, I like to try and backtrack where I first met people. And so I think that that was kind of it. Um, that I recall anyway. So it's been a while. So yeah, the, the cast of things. So, you know, Virgin's probably one of my, and it's not a paid endorsement, but probably one of my favorite airlines. They're always uh, lots of fun to fly. So that must have been a good job, at least from the, uh, the guy riding coach. I liked it. Did you have a good time <laughs> for Virgin? I, I did. I loved Virgin, working for Virgin Australia. Oh, it was a terrific airline. It really evolved as an airline. It started out as being um, a very uh, fun, like their outward-facing persona was very fun and young and, yeah. you know, hip and the safety demonstrations were all very, you know, cool. And and they, they changed over the years to be more of a, um, to, to have more of a legacy type uh, flavor. We went, when I first joined Virgin Australia, our uniforms made us look like Steve Irwin. It looked as if we were all zookeepers, you know, khaki <laughs> pants, leather bomber jackets. It was very cool. No ties. Um, but with, when John Borghetti took over as the CEO, um, things kind of really took a, a different uh, shift and all of a sudden we were put in to real pilot uniforms and we very much looked like, um, you know, the Qantas uniforms actually and they repainted, they painted all of the livery so instead of having red aircraft with um, the stylized 1950s um, a girl flying on the side of the aircraft, we went to a all white livery with a silhouette of the, the iconic Australian girl flying the flag on the side of the aircraft. And it was interesting from to see the change in uh, the culture during that, that time. And for me, that was a very fascinating thing. Our, at our core, still a fun airline and the camaraderie that we had didn't change, but it was interesting to see what uniform changes and livery changes uh, to affect a cultural change in an airline, um, what that had. And um, it, it is a great airline. Still a great airline. Been through tough times, but they're going well. Yeah, I would agree. I, you know, kind of uh, the flavor of the, uh, the airline itself in the beginning was more kind of harkened back to the, you know, let's say, heyday of uh, air travel, where it was kind of fun again, you know, it was, well, you weren't, you didn't feel like you were driving around in a cattle car, but uh, that's, that's another podcast, we'll talk about that, um, so yeah, okay, so you were just at the HAI Expo, which is great, that's a, if anyone, you, if you have a chance to go to that, you should go, it's uh, very exciting, Um I remember the last one that I went to. You know, it's it's great when the when they're filling up the convention center wherever they are, and, and all of the uh, helicopters are flying in. It, it's great. It's like an air show. They're just like one after another. You know, they land in the parking lot, push them in the building. But it, did you see anything yeah. this year that uh, you know was like a let's say the highlight of your visiting? The, uh, besides, oh, uh, I just the program. Yeah. 
I just loved being there. I loved, oh, the highlight for me was actually reconnecting with a lot of people I hadn't seen for a couple of years since mm-hmm. before the pandemic. So for me, that was a highlight. And obviously, I love the helicopters as well. I mean, there were some incredible machines there. Um, the K-Max looked awesome. I really, looked, I really enjoyed looking at that. Um, my first day, I was there on the Monday, and I was there looking at the Vertiport engineering brief and listening to some of the incredible minds um, talk about you know, what the challenges we're facing with Verdi ports and and some of the the ways that, you know, it's really essentially going to change the way, revolutionise the way we start to view urban air mobility in our lifetime. And that, for me, is very exciting because that's my area of uh, studies with my PhD. Um, so I, I think it's quite phenomenal, you know, the development that's happening at the moment. I mean... The literature points to Vertiport infrastructure to be, you know, a, a huge investment, you know, between 35 to $45 million with annual operating costs of around $130 million a year. So, therefore, you know, understanding how these uh, systems are going to integrate with our lower airspace is a fascination of mine as well. So, to go to Heli Expo and to uh, obviously look at all the fantastic shoppers that are out there on the market today and and that also look at where our future is going uh, was really fantastic. Yeah, it was. A, there's a real distinction between, you know, and you've probably heard that term, they've got helicopter money. You know, when you go there, <laughs> and, and, you know, and you see the price of this stuff, really uh, exciting stuff, you know, but uh, I, I, I didn't go. Um, I, I agree. I'm, I'm kind of... Uh, looking to get back out there and circulation and meeting with the people is always great. And the sidebars, I'm more of a sidebar kind of guy where I like to uh, have these, let's say, candid conversations about what we're seeing. And really, uh, you just got to a deal. So we might as well just jump right in the pool uh, on, on this, uh, on this podcast. So um, the, the AAM thing, um, I, you know, I've been to some of the uh, talks. I went one time to, uh, I used to have this thing out here in California called the Churchill Club in Silicon Valley and, you know, new technology. And I, I went, I think it was 2018 and, you know, Joe Ben was there and the FAA was there and uh, somebody from like Airbus and, you know, everybody's given the rah-rah thing and uh, Uber, you know. 42 cents a passenger mile. Uh, they had me going. I jumped out of bed the next morning. And I'm like, anything's possible. By lunchtime, it was my, a little bit more grounded. And I was thinking about this, and I'm like, man, they, got, they, they have a lot of obstacles and hurdles to overcome to make this happen. Agree, disagree? Oh, there are definitely a lot of challenges. Um, you know that we're facing. I'm I'm quite blown away by the amazing minds that are all focusing on these challenges. Though so, you know, when I join in the NASA calls every every uh, week, when they have their different working group calls, plus I'm also heavily involved in the Assure project as well. It, it really does blow my mind how behind the scenes, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of work going on. There's a lot of research going on. And, uh, you know, we will get there. And, you know, I think we're going to, there's a, the NASA Connops is, you know, crawl, walk, and then run. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly do think that we're on track. There are a lot of, 
challenges and a lot of the challenges that we're facing are highly conceptual because, you know, we don't have a lot of fully operational birdie ports happening at the moment. So a lot of the challenges that we have to face, particularly around integrating birdie ports, is, you know, that we're, we're, we're hypothesizing and going from what we do know to essentially a lots of unknown. And, uh, you know, in history, we've done that before, obviously. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing because, you know, my, my research is, is focusing on these challenges and in particular focusing on the, the stakeholders at the forefront of solving these challenges from the information that they have to go on, you know, the research that they have to go on. But I, do remain very positive about this. I feel that um, I see stakeholders getting together. I see the uh, regulators being forward-leaning. Um, you know, it's not an easy gig, believe me, uh, to, to problem-solve in this dynamic, ever-changing industry. With you know, uh, with you know, everyone needs to be able to. Uh, make the right decisions at the right time and because there's a lot of investment as I said you know a huge amount of investment and I I'm very I'm very forward thinking in the sense that I guess I'm very positive more more to the point that you know the United States we need to be the world leaders in this field and I think that you know we will roll up our sleeves and get on with solving these problems <laughs> you are optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that it was going to be easy, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess I can see I can see a lot of the people behind the scenes really working hard on their research and and kicking goals, and you know, they're small goals. You know, I, I guess like me in a very tiny little way, you know, when I kick my goal, my goal information that will hopefully help the urban air mobility industry uh, forge ahead. It'll be uh, my PhD contribution will be like a grain of sand in a beach, but it will help. Every bit helps. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, you could do a dissertation on this, maybe or two or yes. five. Funny. Um, yeah, no, would have I, you know, I, uh, exactly. You know, that's the funny thing with this. Uh, like, especially the. I don't. Uh, I don't really like uncrewed. I like remotely piloted. Uncrewed to me kind of sounds like that. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, you know, these drones are autonomous. You know, it's like, oh, are, are they autonomous or are they pre-programmed? Well, they're pre-programmed. So there's a, there's a crew in there somewhere, you know, and uh, I think it kind of discredits them. But whatever, that's that's hair splitting. Um, but starting out in this industry, you know, you, you mentioned CASA, so we'll, we'll go there. And so, uh, you know, in the in let's say 20 years ago, uh, this this was a very unregulated industry where you could do whatever you wanted. You could fly in Class Bravo airspace, Motsi, Bayo, whatever you wanted to do beyond visual line of sight uh, all day long, and no one could tell you no. Uh, we've, we've come a long way. And I'm not saying that we didn't need some regulation, but I remember, you know, and I don't know if you remember this gentleman. His name was Mal Walker, and he was at CASA, and I think he was oh, the first oh, guy. Yeah. yeah, you know, I haven't heard that name for a long time. And it goes back long to the uh, way, the way back AAM, as I like to call it. 
And uh, yeah, it came up with these, you know, commercial, uh, you know, regulations for flying, um, you know, our pass or whatever. And I remember going, that guy is a nut, you know. He's <laughs> just too crazy. It'll never happen. Can't do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, and then we've, we've come forward and, and people did do things. I, I do have to give them credit for at least putting, like, the, you know, the flag in the ground and saying, okay, we're going to, here's what we're going to do and we're going to move forward. And at least did something. Do you agree, disagree? What, what do you think on that? I think that you definitely need, I mean, I'm a big proponent of, you know, you do need, you do need a framework to operate. Well, with where we're going in the future with um, the unmanned traffic management system, there does need to be a framework in place. And, you know, I remember 2002 was when Australia first uh, codified its uh, unmanned aircraft systems or (coughs) remotely piloted aircraft systems uh, regulatory framework. And they were one of the first, if not the first in the world to do that in uh, 2002. Um, but, you know, um, in 1945, the International Civil Aviation Organization laid the groundwork for pilotless aircraft. In fact, that's exactly the terminology that they used in the Chicago Convention in 1945 was pilotless aircraft. So when you read the Chicago Convention and the plans that they had outlined back then, it's kind of mind-blowing to think that, yeah, you know, there was that was the beginning of the framework. And... You know, I think that, um, you know, regulations, as long as they are, um, I think, practical and performance-based regulations, risk-based, I think generally people are in favor of that because it enables things to move forward. It's where they're prescriptive and outdated is where you really have to bang your head against the brick wall but uh, you know I think that we're all making such a concerted effort right now to at least put that flag in the sand and move forward on a structured approach you do have to start somewhere and um, and that's that's I think probably the best way to move forward but I am a big uh, a, a big advocate for performance space and practical um, practical regulations you optimist you uh, you're <laughs> killing me over here no uh, so yeah that's funny <laughs> you bring that up right because everybody's like drones are new and I've got this use case if I hear another use case I'm gonna puke you know, I, I've, uh, I've been, you know, doing the use case thing for, yeah, like you said, it's been going on for 40, well, even 60, 80 years, whatever. Uh, the use cases are out there. We already know that they're there. Drones are not new. Um, they've been around. And, and like I mentioned, so in, in the two, early 2000s here, um, you know, I, I know people that, you know, they went to the uh, AT-01 and said, hey, you know, we want to fly this uh, 14-foot wingspan our pass in, uh, you know, DFW class B. Hey, have a nice day. Do whatever you want to do. And I think that might be a little, uh, also a little crazy, but you know, uh, the, this is, this is how far we've come. So, you know, going back to the AAM thing, you're like, Oh, you know, it's, we, we've done things. We've got to roll up our sleeves. And I agree. Um, you know, I, I, one thing I've learned with my 55 years on the planet is anything's possible if you throw enough money at it. 
You know, we, we put people on the moon and brought them back and, uh, you know, and it worked out, right? I mean, there were, there were some hiccups and there were some things there, but it's possible. And uh, I kind of see that with the drone thing first, you know, let's, let's talk about that. And some people, oh, you know, Egan's so negative, you know, when you, when you look at being able to uh, put people on the moon and bring them back and all the rest of that stuff, um, to me, integrating a 251-gram drone into the NAS seems like, uh, uh, let's say, something minuscule uh, in comparison. What do you say? Well, I, I, I definitely disagree that no matter how much money you have, you can solve whatever problem that you have. Uh, it's certainly nicer to have more money, for sure. But, you know, you're talking to somebody who is a, 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 a passionate risk um, specialist, basically. So for me, I look at things through the lens and always look at things through the lens of safety. Safety and calculated risk and risk performance and and system resilience and you know I, I think that we put a man when I say we put <laughs> I'm an Australian obviously but you know I'm nearly American but you know we put a man on the moon not because we had a lot of money we put a man on the moon because we learnt we 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 achieved. Uh, the risk level that enabled us to do that. And just like aviation, they, there's a saying in aviation, you know, these are lessons, this this cost is, they're costs and lessons out of blood. You know, we we don't, just because you're, you can throw a heap of money at something doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work. If you have very little money, but you have really good, safety and risk processes then you know you have a better chance of having it work so you probably need you probably need both uh, money and obviously a really really uh, great approach and relationship to system resilience and risk so yes I'd like both please Pat <laughs> Well, you know, I, I have noticed, well, you know, okay, oh, man, we could, you know, there's so many different uh, channels we could go down on that one because, uh, you know, we did we did put people on the moon and, and people did, you know, there, we did some, uh, I would say, skin of the teeth stuff, you know, with some of that, uh, some of that, and some people did die and, and you know, the Russians lost people and so there, there was a lot of risk and I think you know, even the NASA thing, they've become so, between being risk averse and um, so many layers of management, you know, you know, you may not know this, but I am on the, uh, the, the NASA interplanetary poo list for bringing up some of these issues about not enough money and risk adverse and things being expensive. And I know that's probably hard to imagine. <laughs> That I would even uh, be on that list, but uh, I, it has happened. Um, I think, I, I think uh, one of the things is people don't really fully, I, I, I mean, if you, it's not risk averse, it's accepting and understanding the risk and having layers and layers of systems in place. So, you know, I, I think that's something that's really important. You know, if we were all so risk averse, we'd never get off the ground, you know. But, you know, I look at the Red Bull, um, the Red Bull aircraft races and and some of the new proposed uh, electric uh, aircraft bike. Have you seen those electric aircraft bikes? 
I would absolutely love <sighs> to do that. And I'm a, I'm a risk-averse person myself, but, you know, if you, you've, it's got to all be calculated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I see those guys, and they, I think the helmets are superfluous. Um, you know, except for you might have a, uh, you know, at least you don't have bruises on your face after you crash. I don't know. That's macabre, I know. But they they look cool, but it's like, eh, you know, the blender's right there. You know, no guard on the blade. So that one I may not go on. Um, and before we get too far down the road, I also want to uh, tell the, the listeners that, you know, you want to, I, have, I came up with this uh, drone czar proposal because people always say, oh, you know, he, he's so negative. He never has any solutions. And that's just not true. I got tons of solutions and I've been talking about them for years. Uh, things that we need to do, I believe, to move uh, the, the ball forward and have a healthy and vibrant domestic aerospace industry. And one of those proposals was my drones are proposal, which you're one of my new nominees. And it's funny, I, people ask, well, what did you talk to? Them? No, I didn't talk to these people. I just came up with this drones are thing. And I picked people that I thought had the experience, um, that had the temperament and personality that, that could do this job, and, and this job would entail somebody that is, you know, professional, has this expert knowledge of uh, the problems associated with integrating new types of uh, aircraft into the airspace, airspace system, and not just the national airspace system here in the United States, but globally. And, uh, you know, this person would be responsible to see, let's, let's say, be the focal point between the community and the regulator. And... You know, people in the industry could say, hey, these are our pain points, and they come talk to this drone czar person about it, and then the drone czar person could go and relay that. And let's say professional speak with, the, you know, the, the risk and, and uh, regulations and thinking with that hat on and, and approach them and say, hey, this is what we need to do. So you're, you're one of my, my new nominees, and there are – I had uh, James Grimsley, um, Doug Marshall – and Parmel Kopitkar were my my other picks, and they all uh, found out the, the the hard way too via the internet that, that they had been picked for for this position. So, you know, with your background, and I mean, do you, would would this do you think this this idea has merit? Do you think that we need a focal point? We know we need somebody that knows that what's been tried and what hasn't worked, and what what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I have to thank you, Pat. I mean, that, when when you when you surprised me with that, I, I, I must say I, I think it's a great idea, and it, you definitely should be applauded for recognising the need to, you know, foster this positive and constructive dialogue in the industry. You know, for me, that is actually one of the keys to unlocking, you know, unlocking the industry is being dedicated to method, um, you know, methodology can't even talk this morning of data-driven safety performance and methodologies and um, you know I think this is more than just you know um, that's more than just a simple checklist or a procedure I mean humans naturally oversimplify the concept of safety and I think having a drone czar it almost um, helps to rebrand it almost helps to rebrand um, the fact that you know risk is complex it's dynamic multifaceted faceted, uh, faceted phenomenon and it requires communication and human interact interaction and system management and um, you know I think having 
having people that are diverse in their experience and their qualifications uh, to talk about the different facets of of uh, safety, safe integration of UAS and UAM. I think it's excellent. And a big shout out to PK out there because, you know, PK is definitely one of my heroes. And he's actually on my dissertation yeah. committee. So, um, so yeah, so thanks, PK. And he is a great drones are as well. I mean, the air traffic management system, he's like the father of the air traffic management system, isn't he, for a manned aircraft system? So, um, yeah, no, I think, I think it's a great initiative, Pat. Well, you know, I, I'm just trying to come up ways to, with ways to move the ball forward. And PK got picked mainly because of his sense of humor. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, you know, he, he was like, uh, I was there at that uh, UTM kickoff thing, and uh, I was not happy, as I'm usually not with uh, interactions with the regulator, because uh, I thought that they were a little disingenuous what they came and brought to the table. Um, and uh, I remember, so I brought up some of these issues because most of the people in the room, and it's a little bit of a history thing here, but most of the people in the room were not aviation people. And the guy from the FAA said, well, it's going to be up to you guys to, like, conceptualize, design, build, run, maintain, and basically pay for this unmanned traffic management system, which I said, that was all nice and everything, right? But, I mean, do you have any, like, parameters written down? Did you bring, like, a handout for the kids, and uh, which there was no handout, and it had no ideas at all? And I said, yeah, it's a really uh, tall order for a room full of people who are not aviators. Not that I'm even a trained aviator. You know, I've just been at this for so long. I just say, you know, nobody here, you know, even knows what you're talking about, you know. And, um, you know, then then uh, we, we did have a, uh, the conversation got heated about numbers and where and what this thing looked like. And, you know, PK kind of comes over and he's like, hey, uh, this guy's trying to help which, uh, you know, it was like, hey, shh, and so I get it. But, you know, uh, I, I had already been labeled disruptive by management over at uh, NASA. Again, because, uh, you know, when they talk about some of these projects, right, and, um, you know, integration uh, U.S. into the NASA, it's always like the whole enchilada. And I don't know if you've uh, realized this, too, as you're uh, – part of your work with, with the integration effort, but, you know, you start out, well, this has been my experience, you start out and everybody, oh, yeah, you know, and you talk about the small, frangible, like, say, you know, two-pound aircraft or whatever for about, you know, two minutes, and then we move on to Global Hawks, flying, you know, internationally and all the rest of that, which is, is not something that I'm against, it's just like, you know, there's this... Uh, you know, a uh, factor of 10 thing with, you know, the, the two, two pound plastic aircraft and the global hawk. Have you noticed that? Or is that just something that I've noticed uh, in my tenure? Yeah. So um, for me, I, I guess I have a very different um, lens and I look at this from a very different lens, I guess, just because by virtue of the circles that I, I, I tend to move in right now and have done for the last few years, um, I work very closely with uh, the FAA's Assurance, Assure project. Um, for folks who don't know what Assure is, there, there may be some. Assure is the um, Alliance for System Safety of UAS through Research Excellence. It's actually the FAA's 
um, center of excellence for, you know, to, to, for, you know, basically churn out all of that research and help uh, provide that data that we mu much need for decision making and, and help the FAA, um, you know, basically work to be informed. So um, the Assure project, uh, so my interaction really looks at uh, and it works with those folks, I guess, and, and I guess we're working hard behind the scenes and so many brilliant minds that, you know, a lot of people don't get to see, I guess, because it is, you know, behind the curtain, um, you know, working on things like, you know, expanding beyond visual line of sight and non-segregated UAS operations. And, you know, Assure has... Uh, um, 26 research institutions, including um, 15 core universities and nine affiliate universities, and even four international schools that all work together. And we all have all of these projects to help, um, you know, help I guess make uh, better decisions and 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 contribute to data. And that's everything from risk assessments to the different types of operations in the lower airspace, uh, everything from calculations of uh, mid-air collisions and looking at our waiver frameworks and, um, you know, really looking at the things that can enable us to move forward, like multi-aircraft control and cybersecurity. And, I mean, these are big problems, I guess, that we're, we're working on to solve and it takes a big community to do that um, so even look take for example UAS cargo transportation um, you know and the projects that we look at um, you know are often basically supporting the younger generation coming after us as well that are focusing on science technology engineering and maths and stem projects etc so you know I think it comes down to I guess when the FAA does walk into a room and, and, and presents on certain things, there's a lot of support in the background and a lot of hard work in the background that's going into, you know, different things like, you know, you said you'll throw up, please don't throw up, but the specific use cases and, and uh, even wake turbulence. And I mean, the amount of projects that are going on right now behind the scenes it is just phenomenal, and I, I guess I'm very privileged because I get to see a lot of that that the the general public and even a lot of the industry um, probably doesn't get to see. And you know, and there are things we can't talk about, obviously, because you know, until they're published, we can't publish results. But there's a lot going on there, and um, I, I guess yeah, I'm really privileged to be with uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and, and to be helping to contribute to those efforts. It's a dream come true in many respects. Uh, had I known how much work goes on behind the scenes, I probably would have looked at things differently a little while back. But <laughs> yes. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, it's funny, you know, a lot of the things that you've uh, you mentioned, I've been critical of, and probably uh, <laughs> a little about going on the program. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to uh, go down those roads because uh, I, I do believe that uh, you know some, some of uh, what what is going on is necessary, and there you, know, you have to look at a lot of things. 
You've hit on some of those. There, there are so there are so many uh, things to really look at, and especially you know, when you know the it's it's kind of funny. So you know you're talking about all of the drone stuff, you know, and 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 things that we need to think about, and then people are like, yeah, AAM, and you know I'm going to be flying to uh, for, to Coachella in, in 2023, you know, sipping my mai tai. And, and reading the text on my phone as I'm getting off of the uh, aircraft and, and leaving the uh, vertiport. Um, I, I don't think people even understand how uh, big of, let's say, a jump that is from where we are today. We, we do have those aircraft, and they're called helicopters. And uh, we, we did discuss that early on, how expensive those things are. But... As we move forward with the AAM thing, um, one, one of the issues with the airspace, and this is just an example, is the, the concept of well clear, which, you know, from from your perspective, like say you're flying the uh, the Part 121 aircraft, what's well clear mean to you? Oh, okay. Um, well, I guess I must say <laughs> just. Well clear, basically, yeah. I really don't have any special opinion on that. I think it's a it's a subset of a lot of the greater challenges that we're facing, and you know, I think technology is the keeping unlocking the UTM in the show. You know, whether you are flying a drone, whether you're flying a a uh, inside a, an air taxi. Uh, you know, the, one of the key enablers is technology, and there's no way of getting around that. Um, you know, whether it's augmented visual, whether it's other means, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely technology is going to be the key solver of that. And I know that it was, you know, it's a sticking point for some for some people or some organisations. I don't really have an opinion on it from my personal perspective. I've been really focusing on um, other research areas at the moment, mainly to do with risk and associated risk uh, with the Vertiport side of things. So I haven't really, uh, I haven't really got a controversial thing to tell you about that. Well, sorry. No, no, well, I just uh, wonder, you know, because some people, it, uh, it's different for some folks. And, you know, just uh, when you look at the estimates, you know, they're like, oh, there'll be millions of drones, and there obviously is going to have to be lots of uh, the AAM vehicles for it to pencil and for it to make money and all the rest of that. And it's just uh, one, of the, one of those things under 400 feet, when people are, you know, if we're going to fly a VFR and well clear and all the rest of that. I, I really think that needs to be determined, uh, especially in urban areas, because I think that that, that could be a real sticking point as far as safety is concerned and risk and, you know, all of the other things in, in the urban areas and uh, the weather in between the buildings and the uh, heat coming off the streets and all the rest of that. There's, there, there are a lot of, lot of variables there. So I'm just uh, curious, you know, I, yeah. I ask people that question. Just yeah, no, there's definitely, definitely so many variables and so much to think of, and, and it really is, you know, it's such a behemoth area of research. It's really quite incredible. Um, you know, what we're finding, what we're finding with our research at the moment is that we really need to learn a lot more. <laughs> the results that we that we have found from our studies is that, you know, there really is 
a lot more to learn because there are so many parameters. So, you know, it's a case of continually collection of continually collecting data and, you know, investing in R&D and learning more so that we can make these better decisions. And, um, you know, as I said, that's, that's, it's definitely a behemoth of an area of research. And, um, you know, it's not, they're, they're difficult problems and they're not just going to be solved overnight. Um, but one of the things that, we have found with our research is that uh, drone operators in particular are generally all doing the right thing. So um, that's something that our research has shown, which is great. And, um, you know, uh, you know, let's see how things fall out. But I, I think we're heading in the, a positive direction. Uh, the work is continuing. Some of the, as I said, my jaw, my jaw hits the ground at some of the research that I read on a daily basis and it's, it's moving very quickly you know and um, so you know I'm I'm so happy to get back into the industry right now it's um it's uh, good timing for me to get back in uh, I'll be really looking forward to you know getting back into the industry and and working hard and trying to contribute where I can so that's my big that's my my big uh, focus right now yeah, well, um, well, and the live portion of the show is over, but we're going to run just a little long. Which always happens when you get into these, you know, conversations because there's so much uh, to talk about. But um, that's all good, and I, I'm glad that uh, you're back. Uh, it's interesting. There's even for a time I, I had to take a step back from it because it became uh, <clears throat> people said, "Oh, you know, you're frustrated," and and yeah, I mean, I, I am. It's been it's been a long. Um, long road uh, you know you, you, it's interesting when you say things are moving quickly um, for aviation possibly you know and people I remember uh, you know starting off the the ASTM F-38 thing in 2005 here in Reno you know and they had, on this schedule they had meetings scheduled out to 2009 right and I'm like man two, what 2009 are you crazy and now we're, you know, twenty twenty two. I know it's it's crazy. The time it, the time is going so quickly, and uh, you know I can't believe that I've been studying for the last two years with my head in the books. And um, you know I look up and it's it's twenty twenty two already. So it it does go quickly. But I I also think that you know things we've also achieved so much. You know since I've been in the United States. You know, I arrived here in 2016 when 107 just uh, launched and became codified into into our regulations over here. And so much has changed and, and so much has moved forward. And I think particularly with urban air mobility, I, I do think we're going to see um, the next 10 years and even the next five with some incredible advancements um, in that industry. And definitely I'm seeing it in the UAS industry as well. So. It's, it is exciting times. It is, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it is exciting. I am, I, I'm a little, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting too. So I've been also doing uh, some work with companies for uh, some, some military things, and I also hear from military people all the time. And I, and so, you know, the the regulatory side of this too, I do, I, I think, does stifle. 
innovation a little bit and, and also uh, create capability gaps for us. And, and, you know, flashing back to the NASPAN, when I was uh, president of the Silicon Valley chapter of AUVSI, we used to meet in the flight ops building at NASA Ames. That's where we meet. And on the walls were all of these, you probably remember film too, uh, eight by ten glossy uh, pictures of all of these NASA X aircraft, you know, and uh, like man, you know the, the the good old days with innovation and you know all the rest of it. Of course, there was associated risk and all the rest of that. But do you? And I'm just you know asking an opinion. Do you do you think that some of this uh, aversion to risk? Um, is 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 detrimental to innovation, or do you think that we're we're kind of at the right place, right time? Um, we need more. What what? I'm just you know your your thoughts from the safety perspective. Yeah, uh, it's 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 good question. So towards the end of last year, you know, I basically started to reflect on my my career and all of the experience and the qualifications and all of that great education that I'd kind of amassed and I turned the big 5-0 last year so um, you know it was kind of a a, a good time to reflect on on uh, and, and a dear friend of mine uh, gave me a great book called Halftime and uh, and Lux if you're listening thank you mate that was a great great read um, but it, I'm started to realize you know and i started to see the the light at the end of the tunnel of my phd or i think it might have been a near death experience i'm not sure but i asked myself you know what do you want to do with the rest of your life tracy you know what do you what do you, what do you want to be and and i, I answered myself I, I want to make a positive difference in this industry you know i love this industry i love aviation i love uas i love urban air mobility i want to share what i've Seen, what I've learned, what I've experienced, and try to make the industry a better place. Um, you know, from the regulatory standpoint, from safety and risk standpoint, and those two definitely go hand in hand. You know, I have almost um, a, an obsession with risk and like risk engineering due diligence. So, with all of this stuff, I formed my own company last November called Quantum AI based here in Houston where I live um, so it's a Texas company 100% woman owned I am the woman um, and I thought I want to serve the advanced aviation and autonomous vehicle systems industry with a next generation of integrated risk mitigation systems and in America this is uh, you know me I'm a positive can-do person and I just know this is the place to do it so yes I do believe in innovation is here and for me risk and innovation go hand in hand as I said to you earlier in the podcast you can have all the money in the world but if you're not safe uh, it, it, it won't work so Quantum AI is the name of my company. Um, AI yeah, stands for artificial intelligence. Oh no, I haven't launched it yet. This is a sneak oh. preview. I have oh, not even launched okay. my company yet. I, I've launched it, but I'm keeping it a secret. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready yet. I have too much schoolwork to get out the door before I launch into it. I'll launch into it mid, mid this year is when I'm going to launch. So there you go. There's your scoop for your podcast. <laughs> Um, the scoop. So yes, it's the scoop. Get it here. Uh, get it here on SUAS News. So um, yeah, Quantum AI uh, basically 
uh, has a slogan and it's vision, integration and excellence. They're my core principles and my vision. And it's also the competency or what I can deliver. And, you know, I have a passion for this industry, but without vision, you know, you, you don't get anywhere either. So Quantum AI is going to be at the forefront of the emerging safety guidance and regulatory support around autonomous systems, including advanced urban air mobility and also advanced UAS, commercial UAS. So we lean into research and development, obviously, because that's something I'm heavily involved in and, you know, solve some of the challenges in predictive risk and uh, systems integration. And integration is actually my second core value, which is, basically centralizing risk and operational data and integrating safety communication in one central focal point and basically shifting the safety paragraph from what was an old school and you know when you you talk about having people that or organizations that are too risk adverse you know I, I sort of see that as old school if you have a modern approach to safety management systems and data-driven system-wide safety resilience, um, that can take you into a whole new advanced operational um, paradigm. And the last one is excellence. Uh, excellence is basically operational performance and systems resilience. So that is my, uh, that's my new MO for the next of my 50 years on this planet. Um, you know, and it's, uh, I, I'm really excited. I, I've started working with the team at American Robotics with um, Reese Moser and his team there. And I guess that philosophy that I have complements their, their organization so much because they're very forward leaning into uh, safety and their vision for safety and, and risk. And they have amazing capability and, and, uh, and scalable operations. And, um, you know, working with them, uh, with such a company that recognizes that value of integrating that next generation type of safety capability is, for me, really, you know, as a, a, a risk specialist and a safety enthusiast, you know, working, working with a company like that is just feeding my soul right now. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, now, uh, and the one other thing is, so you've... Uh, you've, you've settled in Texas, um, it's interesting, a lot of tech and, and aviation is going to Texas, man. You know, we're, we're losing it out here in California, but uh, I guess that's good for Texas. Everybody seems to be uh, gravitating towards a mindset there where it's like, hey, let's, let's do this. Is that, uh, are I have you, noticed, are you... Yeah, I have definitely noticed that. And um, maybe because I'm also quite heavily involved in the Australian-American Chamber of Commerce here in Houston, um, I have definitely seen... Um, and some Australians are coming over. Actually, there's a, a there's an invasion happening right now, um, not only from California, but some Australian companies are uh, coming over here as well. Uh, but yes, I, I have noticed that I, I've have settled in Texas because I can't get my husband out of it. Uh, he's been, <laughs> he's, uh, he's 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 uh, been in Texas uh, for a very long time. TCU boy. And uh, I, I cannot get him out of it. I couldn't get him to, to Washington, D.C. 
and uh, I have a feeling that I'm not going to get him out of it. So I'd prefer to live somewhere where I can snow ski, but uh, I am loving living here, and uh, I definitely enjoy the barbecue and and everything Texas has to offer. I, I really do. I really do. I really do like it, and I love being on the doorstep of Heli Expo and some of the amazing things that are happening in Dallas uh, with the Alliance there and the tech here. So I'm actually... I'm actually really happy in Texas. I think I'm going to be a uh, a, a happy Texan somehow. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm uh, right now. I'm about 40 miles from from Squaw Valley. Uh, I think they changed the name, but you know, world class skiing. But California, you got to have uh, three jobs just to make it. So I don't know if it's worth it uh, anymore. So I don't know. You never know. You may uh, you may see me someday in Texas. I do like. Well, Texas, Texas is pretty big, Pat. I think Texas is even big enough to hold you in it as well. And my and my negativity. I can have my <laughs> No, you can leave um, you can leave that behind. I think you're getting more positive as you're getting older somehow. <laughs> maybe I maybe I need that uh, the book. You know, was it halftime? I, I kind of got that reference. Oh yeah, but... absolutely. It's called halftime. <laughs> Bill Bullford, I think the name is. Definitely get a hold of that. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds good. Well, you you, you do have a uh, you have a lot of work to do. I think we've covered yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of real estate, and there is, and I think you've given a, a lot of insight. I, I there is an over. It's my, you know, it's a, there's that old parable about the five blind monks describing the elephant. You know, one's got the elephant by the trunk, and one's got one by the ear. And I, and I think that there's some of that in the unmanned aircraft uh, world where there are a lot of your newcomers who think, oh, you just go down to Best Buy, you buy this thing, and it works, and we're flying around, and we're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And you've delved into some of the behind-the-scenes, what what's really going on back there to um, – that they satisfy all of the different stakeholders. You mentioned them. And I think that uh, one of the things that people don't understand about this thing, and and that was one of the things with the UTM that the gentleman from the FAA said is, is, look, basically after you do all of this work, basically what we're going to do is we're going to go to the manned aviation sector and we're going to, we're going to pitch this for you. And those manned people are, are the ALPA, you know, the airline pilots association, your AOPA, Airplane Owners and Pilots Association and your HAI. Um, and say, hey, you know, this is what these guys want to do. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I don't think that a lot of people think about that, that whatever you come up with, you're going to have to go uh, sell this to, to the man stakeholders. <laughs> and they, uh, they look at you, uh, you know, with the, the cocked eyebrow. <laughs> I remember at HAI, and I don't, I don't know if you were, do you remember Dave York? You remember Dave? Did you even know Dave York from HAI? Oh no! Oh gosh, no. Their name's not familiar, but I do know the folks at HAI, and they're doing an amazing job in in uh, bringing the industry together, and especially around the Verde ports. I really loved being there um, with with the folks uh, on the, at the engineering brief on the, on last Monday at HAI, and you know there's a there's a lot of incredibly smart people that are working together from you know manned aviation from the vertiport side of things from local government it really did blow me away and i i think things are uh, you know from i guess from where i sit i i sit at a different side of the the table i guess 
and I see everybody just working so hard to to solve a lot of these challenges and then there there are no easy answers you've just got to roll your sleeves up get your brain into gear and I guess a little bit like me just solve a little tiny bit of the puzzle at a time and that elephant you're talking about you know that's how you eat it <laughs> you eat your elephant one bite at a time and uh, and that's the only way to get through and okay sometimes it might give you a stomach ache <laughs> but um you know, there's some great people doing some great work. And, you know, I guess if ever anyone out there is feeling a little, you know, perhaps a little negative or despondent about that, um, you know, reach out to, I guess, anyone that you know that's actually doing some of the groundwork behind the scenes. And uh, and then they can, they may shed some light on, on some of the challenges that we're, that we're facing. Yeah, well, you know, part of that too is the uh, the sales job. I, that, that one story that I was going to re- relate to, and the uh, air ambulance part of that, he's like, he points to me, and he says, "This guy wants to fly in your airspace," and it just walks off. And I remember the gentleman telling me that I was uh, well, spam program. I can't say exactly what he said to me, but anyway, that that was in the early days of when we wanted to uh, fly in their airspace, but. You know, we've come a long way, and we, we understand each other now. I think I think that's that's one of the things is is uh, the community coming together with the the manned community has um, it's opened everybody's eyes. I even heck, I even got an email from the uh, Alpa representative for the small UAS arc so, a few years ago, and he was like, "Pat, you were justified in being upset. You guys, you know, blah blah blah." So anyway. It, that's, that's all water into the bridge, but it, it's good that we're all coming together and people are understanding what we want to do. You know, I don't think people yeah. really understand, and I do think that there's a better understanding. No, and that's what we need to do. We need to reach out and keep doing that. So we covered absolutely. I've definitely, yes, definitely <laughs> seen a lot more unity in the industry over the last eight years. It's just such an amazing thing to see, and you know, we have to because. Hey, we need to we need to be world leaders in this industry, and the only way we're going to do that is to roll our sleeves up and work together, and focus on solving our challenges and getting them solved as quickly and as safely and as efficiently as we can. I think that's that's where I that's where my head is, and it's it's been great to talk to you about this today, Pat. Well, you know, not everybody thinks that. You know, so that's good. I'm going to take that. It's, it was a compliment. So anyway, well, that's great. And uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you around. Uh, good luck. Now, the drills are saying, I don't know if anyone will ever pick that idea. I do think it has merit. And I do think that you're uh, someone that could act in that uh, that role. So with that said, thanks for coming on. Until uh, next time, everyone, have a good one. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks. Thank you, Patrick. Chat to you soon. Bye. All right. Good luck on the PhD. (laughs) Bye-bye. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much.